0: There's nothing more lovely There's nothing more profound Than the certainty Than the certainty That all of this will end That all of this will end
1: Good morning. Good morning. I shot that video over the weekend. I want to welcome you to Kesson. My name is Danny. I'm excited for you guys to be here. Thank you very much. Uh, this should be a good service. It has a lot of different stuff going on. Okay. Nope. It's good. It's good. It's just okay. So. Today's service is a case study in messy. So here's my question for you before we get just right into it. <laughs> what exactly are you feeling right now? As you saw all the gumballs spill across the stage, what exactly went through your emotions? What went through your mind as you saw all of this um, happening right here, right now, immediately? Now, most of you probably thought that that was an accident, but it was not. As a matter of fact, it was really difficult for me to get Toby, who brings all my stuff on stage, to spill it because he didn't want to look stupid, even for 20 seconds. (laughs) Even for 20 seconds. But the truth of it is that life oftentimes is a lot like today. It's unpredictable. The feelings that I had, I just want you to know, because I knew right away I I would experience this, the very first feeling I had was embarrassment. Even though I knew I set this up to happen, I was immediately (laughs) embarrassed. I was embarrassed, I was stressed, I was worried. I didn't know what you would think about me. I had no idea if you'd even get it. And at the end of it all, I was concerned that maybe you would lose respect for who I was as a speaker because we were messy today. Now, Compare the feelings that you have right now with the feelings that you had when you saw the OK Go video. That's an OK Go video called This Moment, and that video is way more messy than what you experienced here. When you saw that video, how many people, I saw multiple people, I watched during the service, multiple people were fascinated by the video. How many people were fascinated? You are like, "Whoa! Oh, how did they do that? That's amazing. That's beautiful. That's stunning. That's amazing. That's incredible. How did that happen? And yet it's Unbelievable mess all over the place. The truth of it is, though, it's not messiness, but our out-of-control messiness that makes us uncomfortable. When you saw the video and you saw those few seconds, uh, at first you were like, what is that? It's only 4.2 seconds. And then all of a sudden it goes into the video, and you're like, oh, I get it. They planned that. That happened. When you saw this, which took less than just a few seconds, the first thing that most of you did was put your hands to your mouth. You were like, oh, my gosh that just happened. What's he going to do? What's that guy going to do? I would be so embarrassed if that was me. It's because it appears out of control. This entire study is going to be a study on messiness, but not messiness like most of us talk about, not, not dishuffled cool hair or, or even blended families that are doing pretty well or even some struggling finances. I'm talking out of our control. Messiness, Things that make our hearts beat faster, make us sweat just a little bit, make us worried about what other people might think of us. That kind of messiness. My hope for the series is that over the next few weeks, we can start a conversation about this and about how it relates to our spiritual lives. A conversation about, and I'll put this on the screen, what it might look like to rethink our perspective of what Christian faith being walked out looks like what it really really looks like to follow God does it look like an okay go video does it look like stories where we face our trials but in the end we overcome every single time does it look like beautiful scripture poured into a person's life and they respond like a well-planted and well-watered flower they grow into an enormous tree of faith and everyone around them takes shade inside the wisdom of their well-lived life I don't think it does Frankly, I think it looks a little more like this. It feels a little more like this. I want you to start with that emotion, with that feeling, with what you experienced when these hit the ground, and I want you to start there and relate it to your spirituality and to the spirituality of people that you have done life with and that you are right now doing life with today. We're going to start our entire three-week series in the Old Testament because to me the Old Testament probably is the easiest way to understand messy and how it relates to our spiritual development. Uncontrollable messy. So if you have a Bible, turn to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19 is the start of something in the Bible known as the ceremonial law. Now, we are not going to read all of, these, uh, of this chapter, nor all the chapters that follow it, nor some of the chapters that precede it. But it's a wonderful place for you to put your finger, mark and highlight, and say, okay, this is ceremonial law. This is how God dealt with messy when he first began to dwell among his people. In the Old Testament, you could only approach God in worship if you ate certain foods and not others, wore certain firms of forms of dress, retained from touching a variety of objects, lived in a specific way, celebrated in a specific way, worshiped in a specific way, and did certain things at certain times. Once you accomplish these things, then the messiness of your life could be brought before the Lord and you could be in relationship with Him. Leviticus 19:1 and 2 kind of gives you just a, little, just a little summary of what it really was about. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The point of it is this. God is not messy, and I am messy. God wants to be in relationship with us, but our mess keeps him from being able to do that unless he can provide an avenue for us to bring our mess to him. This is what was happening inside of this ceremonial law, and it was there to really emphasize two main points. The first one is this, that human beings are spiritually unclean and messy and can't go into God's presence without purification. That has never changed since the fall of man, ever. Every single person that you've ever met is so sinful that they cannot stand in God's presence without a process of purification. Every single one, even the best person on the planet is so sinful that they cannot walk into God's presence without going through a process of purification. The second thing that was really emphasized in this point was that in spite of this, God wants to be near his people anyways. In spite of this truth, this reality, God wants to be near you anyways. This is the cornerstone of our faith. That we serve a God who is unlike any other religious system. We serve a God who proclaims what is true that I'm messy, and then says, But in spite of your mess, I want to be in your life, anyways. God loves his children and wants to help them understand him, and he wants to, and what he desires for their lives, which is wholeness and purity. He wants them to understand that there is a better way to live, that there is a better way to be, and that the truth of it is when you are messy, when you are full of sin, you are incomplete. You are lacking what you need. It's like being partially underwater and not having enough air. And God says that is not how you are supposed to live. That is why so many of the marriages in this room struggle. There's not enough holiness inside the marriage. There's not enough wholeness inside the marriage. And so it feels like two people drowning, pulling on one person in order to get enough of their own desires and hopes only to get dragged down again so that the other can rise up to try to reach what they're looking for as well. When both people realize we are drowning without God, then in that mess, God can be in relationship. God can engage us. And through this process, through this process, can find wholeness in him. In the Old Testament, the process was very, very detailed. Structure after structure, date after date, system after system, ways of being after ways of being after ways of being. But what it communicated to the people who were living in the mess, those new, uh, those new found free uh, ex-Egyptian slaves, was that God still wanted to be, them, be with them. And so they engaged in this process, and they got better and better at this process, and they began to fall in love with God through this process. And they were suddenly willing to bring a lamb and sacrifice, and willing to bring a goat, and willing to bring a turtle dove, and willing to bring ephah, they were bringing it with their whole heart and saying, God, I give you this because you want to be in relationship with all of this. For hundreds of years, people lived this way. For hundreds of years, people engaged in their own mess this way. No one was confused while the Israelites were roaming through the desert why they were roaming through the desert. Because of the sins of our fathers, because we didn't trust God and move into the land when we were supposed to, we are messy and lost. And for 40 years, they were taught this purification process from one generation to the next so that they could be in relationship with God. That's one reason that society did so much for the faith of God is because there was no one there who thought they had not done something wrong enough to be excluded from relationship with God. I am mind blown still today by how many people think that they are good enough and that they don't really need to be in relationship with God and they don't really need to be in relationship with other people. They compare themselves to bad people in their minds and then say, well, I'm not like him. I'm not like her. I'm a pretty good person overall. I mean, I've never done this. I've never done that. They have a whole list of things. The problem is they never compare themselves to like the best people. You know, like imagine who you would envision to be the best. Mother Teresa, right? Mother Teresa would get on a plane when they would fly her uh, from one place to the next and not sit in first class because she didn't want to be perceived as someone who was taking something that wasn't hers. She would forcibly put herself in coach. It's a true story. You can, it's documented. forcibly put herself in coach. Billy Graham, it's a documented request that every television is removed from his hotel room when he goes to a city to preach because he never ever wants even there to be a chance that he could watch something or order something or someone else could order something that would be on his TV. One time he went, they refused. He ripped the TV out of the wall, set it on the floor outside the hotel room and said, bill me. Anybody here done that? Anybody here would, who, who if you went to the airport and they upgraded you to first class would be like, no. Listen, I don't want anybody to think that I'm, like, more important than I am. Do you have a seat, like, right in front of the bathroom where I could sit up and not lean back, and then I could hear the toilet flush the whole time? That's the seat for me. See, nobody compares themselves to those people. You compare yourself to your friend who's been married 14 times, right, and he's got seven kids from nine different women, right, and you're like, well, I'm doing pretty good overall. Compared to him. But he, I just want to be honest, I've sat with that guy. Do you know that he has people he compares himself to? Like, well, I'm out of jail. You're like, that's true. That's true. The people of Israel were not confused Everybody was a convict. Everybody was an addict. Everybody was broken. Everybody was lost. Everybody, every morning, woke up, looked out of their tent, stepped onto the messy hot sand, and said, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be in the promised land, but because of poor choices in my life, this is where I am. And you know what's amazing about where I am? God is here with me. This is the process now I go through this ceremonial law, and I walk through it and I give God the best of me because God has given me the best of him even though I don't deserve it. Every single person that had eyes could look at another person that had eyes and make eye contact to say, we're in this together. Nobody was confused. Nobody was doubting. There was not a society of better thans because everybody was messy. That place, just so you know before I move on, is supposed to be where the church lives. We're supposed to be people who understand we are all messy. We are supposed to be people who understand we are all lacking. It's supposed to be people who recognize this, this, this is my life. Now, most of us don't like this. We didn't mind the okay go video cuz it's controlled but this this is out of control this is this is kicking and slipping and broken and sloppy and this is too much and I don't like it. And so, what we do is we spend time and we start picking up the mess that we've created. And little by little, we do a pretty good job and we create a little space for us to stand and to be and to live so we don't kick around different things in our life that make us uh, dangerous for other people. And suddenly, we've got a clean space here and we're like, I'm actually doing pretty good. I mean, I can move here and talk. And I mean, look at what I'm doing. I'm out of debt. I, my marriage is doing okay and my life is okay. And, you know, the more I think about it, that's the old me. And this is the new me and I can dance and and be expressive and I can live my life and make today an awesome day. And it's wonderful. But that particular path, if it's founded on what you've done, only leads to this. Now, this is still fairly messy. These are all red or purple or yellow or arranged in perfect lines. Those of you in the room with OCD would love to do that right now. You're like, yellow's on the bottom. Then I would go light to darker, Right, and you—I you, know this—but most of you, this is the fullest extent of a well-disciplined life: a little bit of controlled mess, a little bit of discipline, a, a little bit of structure. The problem, though, is this begins to cause us to forget this, and then we become people who are better than others who haven't yet quite put their life in as much order as we have. In the Old Testament. This happened towards the end of the Israelites' stay in Egypt. They then went into the Promised Land, and then their temple became founded. And then hundreds of years later, they began to actually use these ceremonial laws to build a class system. For hundreds of years... People lived inside this class system and everything was fine. But then eventually what happened is people that were really, really good at living with mess versus people that were not so good at living with mess began to look at themselves as purely better than everybody else. It was during this time that the very best of the best followers of the ancient rituals and guidelines became celebrated, then raised themselves above others. We know those people as Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees were people that got really good at controlling the mess. When they gave to the poor, they gave loudly, one plink at a time. Plink, oh, Jesus, give, give, give. When they fasted, they fasted openly, no shirts, and expressed to everybody how impoverished they were of soul. So people would go, oh, look how, look how organized his mess is. He's, I could never be organized like When they prayed, they prayed on street corners so everyone knew, God, I'm a sinner. So much of a sinner. Thank you, God, I'm not as much sinner as him. But still a sinner nonetheless, God. I mean, my gumballs aren't organized by color, but at least they're all in one place. People begin to worship these people. They begin to follow these people. They begin to pray, if you will, around and for these people. And these people became, like so many people today, these people became people that everybody else thought had it all together when really they were people far, 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 far away from even those original sand dwellers who woke up every morning, crawled out of their tent, and knew why they were there. These people began to control. They figured if I attend 40 Sundays a year, if I do a Bible study, if I tell friends I'm a Christian, if they ask, I won't deny him. I don't want to go to hell. If I put a Jesus sticker on the back of my car, if I read the Bible at least once a week, if I do these things, then it doesn't really matter how else I live my life because my mess is at least control. We have a lot of modern-day Pharisees and Sadducees. It's just part of being a Christ follower. A lot of people, that got really good at doing church instead of being church. I heard a wonderful quote uh, written last week, and the gentleman said, I find that most churches are more attracted to what pastors, preachers, and church people put on the table than the love that Jesus is at the table. See, people don't come to our church in order to be entertained. They don't come to our church in order really to... to, uh, to be a part. They come to our church in order to experience something they can't experience anywhere else. And that is the love of God. But for people to experience the love of God, they have to sit next to other people that have helped to create a place where that love can be expressed because people who walk in here walk in messy. And if you're sitting in your seat thinking this is your life, you will never ever relate to them. They will smell too bad. They will look too bad. They will use the wrong words. They will have walked out the wrong path and they will just be too messy for you. And this is what then you'll do. And I'm sorry if this is getting a little bit personal. I don't mean this towards any one person in the room. What you'll do is you'll begin to put them through a process of ceremonial laws in order to be like you. You'll say, what you need to do is go to this Bible study. What you need to do is cut your hair. You need to get your teeth fixed. You need to get back together with your wife. You need to go after your wayward children. You need to get out of debt. You need to go to this class. You need to attend church, get involved, start serving. And then one day when you're close enough like me to be me, then, then you really know. Jesus. Our church has done a great job of not doing that. Our church has done an amazing job of not doing that. And I think it's because most of us in this room are so honestly messy. The Old Testament study on messy I just gave you went on for years and years and years until the priests became people who basically put people through that ceremonial law to be like them. And then out of nowhere enters this guy named Jesus, I think it was. Jesus walks in the room and changes everything. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was ripped through, showing that the need for the entire sacrificial system with all its clean laws had been done away with. Jesus is the ultimate end-all sacrifice for sin, and now Jesus makes us clean. Because of Christ, the ceremonial Old Testament law is radically repealed radically repealed. This is why people will be like, oh, you only follow different parts of the Bible. You cherry-pick parts of the Bible. No, I follow Jesus, and Jesus said these parts of the Bible he came to fulfill. Therefore, I no longer have to live by these ceremonial laws and bring goats and chickens to be sacrificed or not touch unclean foods or not live in a certain part of town or not be friends with a certain part of people, person. Jesus came and fulfilled all of those laws. He was that ultimate sacrifice. This very truth is what drove Jesus' enemies crazy. You understand that, right? It was his love of the messy that drove him to the cross. His criticisms of the perfect religious people and his acceptance of his imperfect non-religious people. It, were, it was these, these kinds of comments that the priests and the ones who, who, who got really good at this... Said, no, no, you can't do that. And he's like, ah, that's fine. I love this person and this person and this person. This person's broke wide open in half. I'll take you. You could be a disciple. What? He cannot be a disciple. I know his dad. I know the sins of his father. And he's broken in half. At least pick a whole one. Nope. I'll take this one. Oh, and I'll take this one too. This is a crumb. This is a Ha! I'll take it! It's mine. I'll take all the little gross sloppy wet pieces that nobody else wants and I'll form something amazing. Jesus became about the mess, and so Jesus became messy. It's a wonderful, wonderful step back look at the cross. Jesus became about the mess, and so Jesus became Messy. He had this preposterous idea that common, ordinary, broken, screwed up people could be godly. And it messed everybody up. It changed people's lives. They didn't know how to deal with it. Jesus didn't go to the synagogues where these people lived. He went out to the slums where these people lived. He went to the fishermen and the carpenters and he went to those who who had all kinds of disease, full of leprosy and blindness, sin disease. He went to people who were women of the night and men of violence and blood, and he said, I love these people. And he walked in the midst of these people, and he kicked around all the different things that they thought that made them unworthy. And he said, no. Just like in the Old Testament, I want to dwell with you. I want to be in relationship with you, and I want to come to you. But we're not going to do it like we used to do it. Because like we used to do it created this system. People abused and, 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 and manipulated and it created all these priests and these Pharisees, Sadducees, these people of great authority who determined right from wrong. Jesus said, I just want you to be able to come to me right where you are right now. I want you to come to me. And if you come to me, I will change your life and teach you how to go and love the Messy. One of my favorite examples of messy now in the New Testament is when uh, Peter and John were walking through a town and saw a lame beggar. So not only is the man a beggar, meaning he doesn't come from a good system, a good structure, he's very, very messy. He's also a lame beggar. And they go to the man and they pray and he's healed. And at this point, just the town erupts. Because if you're going to heal somebody, you're going to heal somebody who's holy. You're going to heal somebody whose affliction can bring people closer to Yahweh. You're going to heal somebody who, who is an ex-priest or the wife of an ex-priest or, or, or the son or daughter of a priest. You're not going to heal a lame beggar in the front of the streets who's broken open for all to see. It says in Acts chapter 4 that finally they go to them and they arrest them and they make them, at, they make them answer for why it is they're doing what they're doing. Acts chapter 4 verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Verse 3. And they arrested them. They arrested them for healing somebody. Could you imagine? They arrested them for healing somebody. Let me just say this it wasn't the healing that they arrested them for. This is so important to your faith, this is so important to this series. Listen to me. They didn't arrest them for just the healing. They arrested them because they were the ones performing the healing. And Peter and John were not priests. And they were not Pharisees. And they were not Sadducees. They were sloppy, broken men who had no right to bring goodness into other people's lives because their own mess wasn't as organized as it should be. And they said, you don't deserve to help people. And so they arrested them. And put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000 people. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is after they had shared, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. This verse is a clear example of what happens when you're with Jesus. Jesus cleanses you from your mess because Jesus is pure, even though he's inside the mess. And then you go out, you cleanse somebody from inside their mess. And then the rest of the world says, how did you get so much different than you are? And instead of giving credit to the system and the structure and the bin of organization or self-help leadership that you went and got, Peter and John simply said to the council, Jesus, They said the exact same thing every other person in this room should be saying to people they want to heal and people who get healed, even if God uses somebody like me or somebody else to bring goodness into your life. How did you do that? Never, ever, ever give credit to me, to Kesed, to a program, to a structure. Never give credit for your process of purity that God is walking you through except to Jesus. Peter and John said, Jesus is why. And they said to each other, it must be because You all have no education. You all have no system. You all are some of the sloppiest bros we've ever seen in our life. And yet there's a blind beggar standing here, healed and whole. These men didn't fit inside their clean and well-defined understanding of how well things are done. And yet they fit perfectly inside the hands and hearts of Jesus. Turns out all the biblical characters are made up of these messy mixes of strength and weakness. Every single one of them. The Bible is overflowing with pages. This study would be the easiest thing to do for 10 or 12 weeks. This is one that's very difficult for me to condense down to three. Because this is our scripture. This is the words of God. Think about David, Abraham, Lot, Saul, Solomon, Rahab, and Sarah. All of these people were God-loving, courageous, brilliant, fearless, loyal, passionate, committed, holy men and women who were also murderers, adulterers, and manic depressives. Now, here's the problem with this verse. A friend pointed this out to me. Most of us think, well, that's because once Jesus came into their life, they changed. Most of us think, well, that's pre-Jesus. I love when people tell their testimony and then they're really, really colorful about the mess of their life pre-Christ they're like, man, I used to go out, I was like angry all the time, and I was like partying, and I was like, you know, I wasn't that good with my money. I was just, man, all this stuff happened, and they have like this tone, because I I sit in professional testimonials, that's what I do. And they're like, there's this tone, right? Like they become that person for a second, and they're like, and I did this, and I did that, and I did this, and I did that, and they just go on and on and on. And then they go, and then I met Christ, and their whole voice changes. And then after that, I mean, it was like... And I'm like, wait, wait, what happened there? What? Yeah, it was like all of a sudden I was like, you know, God, I love you. You're so important to me. And I just think that you are the one. And I And their whole voice changes. Their mannerisms change. It's as if they became a Christian right in front of me. That cannot be true. You are still the same person. You're just the same person with Jesus. You're still messy, and I'm messy, and I will be till the day that I die. I just this week, this is a true story, just this week was driving home in my truck. These kids passed me, right, in their truck. And then, you know as you get older how you get better at reading traffic, right? So it's kind of like a mature way to race because you're like, well, you obviously didn't see that large dump truck pull out in front of you. So you get over. They got to slow down, and as you drive by, just a little bit in your heart, you're like, mm, you know, mm, you know. You know what I'm talking about, right? This kid followed me through traffic for, I don't know, my wife was in the truck. She doesn't even know. This is how good I've got at this. My teenage years, I was, I was a bit of a boy racer. It was, not, it was not good. So now, 39 years old, I don't do that kind of stuff. I don't want tickets, insurance costs money, accidents are horrible. Plus, I don't know if I'm racing one of your all kids. So I, I don't like that. I don't like that. But he followed me, and he couldn't keep up with the traffic decisions of my 39-year-old mind. He kept making bad decisions. I was like, you're going to go too early. You can't see that lady 65 years old in the yellow bug? You know she's not going to run that light. And sure enough, she didn't, and he got stuck. But after five miles, he caught up with me and pulled up right next to the light, and he does the little rev engine thing. And only, and I'll be honest, only for about a second and a half, I was like, all right. <laughs> Terrible, Right? And I was like, oh, I'll just kick it in four high, and, you know, I'll just make, because I know how to race a truck. So I was like, cool, because he didn't. And I thought, this is going to be awesome. This, all, this whole thing lasts a second and a half. And then I looked over at my wife, who was just talking about life and what was going on. And I went, okay. And sure enough, light turned green, and he pulled off and, and went literally a half mile up the road and turned right. So I was like, mm, hmm. If I was to tell you that in my old days, I used to love to drive too fast and I used to love, but now, I mean, I don't even think about that stuff. That is not true. I think about it all the time. I just don't do it. Every one of you who grew up a certain way, you still think about that. Guys who grew up fighting are my favorite, right? Guys who grew up fighting, they're like, I mean, they talk about what they would do and could do if they were who they used to be. And I love it because I think it's 100% true. Guys that grew up fighting and then act like that's not even part of who they are now, that's crazy. I have met the most meek, mild, unbelievable, good-charactered men who got poked one time at a wrong place. And it was like the guy was like, listen, we can step outside right now. And I thought, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, you lead a Bible study I'm in, right? (laughs) And it's just the truth of that stuff still sits within us. Think about Noah just for a second. Think about Noah. Noah was a man, when we meet Noah... We meet Noah in Genesis 5.32. He's 500 years old. 500 years old, he's been living on this planet, and he has wisdom. As a matter of fact, he's the only holy man on the entire planet. God comes to him and says, Noah, you're going to build an ark. Noah goes, what? He goes, Noah, you have the faith, you have the wisdom, you're going to build an ark. You're going to be my man to resurrect this entire society because the world is that evil. Noah says, okay. Every sermon I've ever heard or preached about Noah has been about his character, his integrity. Can you imagine however many years it was, 80, 70 years to build that ark, that Noah went through ridicule an entire season of his life, throwing away generations of wisdom, generations of respect. Whatever the family business was, he lost everything in order to build this giant boat on a planet that had never experienced true rain, let alone a flood. He was thought of as a fool and completely crazy, but Noah was devoted to God. He was faithful, he was high character, and he was integrous. And then the flood comes. The flood comes, everybody dies except Noah and his family. And after all of the water receded and Noah came out of the ark, he triumphantly got out of the boat, got drunk, and got naked. <laughs> That's what it says. He came out of the boat like, well, we lived, looked around, looked around, I don't know why. Perhaps the, 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 the pressure of the experience, perhaps knowing that everyone he ever knew or loved died. Although Noah was a faithful, fiercely faithful man, Noah was, uh, Noah was a man who obviously had struggle. Maybe being strong and faithful has its downside. Maybe a flood survivor's life is more complicated than we'd like to think. Maybe even Noah had bouts of depression and loneliness. Maybe Noah had a problem with alcohol. Maybe that's how he got through the 100 years to build the ark. Drunk. We don't know. <laughs> but apparently the first thing he did was get out and go, good thing we saved the booze. <laughs> right? It's amazing to think about that. But you've got to think about that. That was after the ark, after God saving. And here's the best part. That's the guy God chose. He couldn't chose anybody else. He's like, I'm going to choose the 500 guy who wrestles with depression and alcoholism. That's who I'm going to use. Because he knew Noah's heart was willing and engaged and was willing to walk out the mess that it would take to be the man God wanted him to be. All of these people, just like all of us, are in the some condition of not togetherness. All of these people in the Bible are in some condition of not togetherness. Proclaiming. This is proclaiming. In Scripture, over and over, the shocking and scandalous implication of Jesus' ministry that anyone can be spiritual, anyone can be loved, and anyone can be saved from their mess. And I mean real mess. Not just publicly sinful mess, but inconsistent mess, down and out mess, in and out mess. Now I believe, now I don't mess. I get it now, now I don't mess. Mess. I used to be mess, but now I'm mess. Nobody else will engage in my life mess, real life mess. These are the people God uses. These are the people he hangs out with. This is why Christ came, so that he could be engaged with us inside of our mess. And my friends, over the next two weeks, we're going to talk more about that this is what Christian faith being walked out really looks like. It's messy. It is messy. And if you can't see that in yourself, then you certainly can't see that in anyone else. But if you can see it in yourself, then you can realize, like I realized so many years ago, that when I read scripture and then when I hang out with people who are truly, truly, truly following Christ, man, when I'm thinking and considering and walking through my mess, I am in good company. I am together with people who struggle. I am together with people who overcome. I am together with people who understand that Christ came for people like me and like you, people who were scattered all over the place. It'll take a lifetime to get this put back together. You could fix this in a Sunday. Just pull it off stage. This is my life. And for many of you, this is your life. And I'm here to tell you in about two, at the end of this series so the next series, we're gonna announce all of our plans And dreams and hopes for this building, but it's going to be messy. It's going to be a lot of work. This entire series is to prep us and prep our hearts for who we as Kested want to be. The people downtown are different than the people near where most of us live. I have the map of where most of you live or put the pinboard on. Not a lot of us live downtown. We're going to be engaging in culture. We're going to be engaging in ministry that for some of us is going to be uncomfortable. But if we can understand in our own hearts the kind of company we're keeping now, then it won't matter who walks through that door. It won't matter the mess. It won't matter the stains. All that will matter is that we give credit to Jesus for the power of his purification and his wholeness that he's bringing to us. I want to close with a reading. It's very simple, and then we're going to go into a song. And the song, the reading is by Carla Iaconelli, and uh, her husband uh, died in a car accident, and he, some of this material that we talked about today came from him, and he was a a, a pastor and a preacher, and uh, he wrote a book actually called uh, Messy Spirituality, of which a lot of this is what we're going to be pulling from. This is what she wrote um, in the the foreword of the book. And it impacted me so powerfully, and so I wanted to read it to you. When it comes to your mess, take heart, my friends. You are in good company. You with all your faults and imperfections. You with your defects and failures. You with your hang-ups and emotional scars. You with your weaknesses and your defeats. You with all your blunders, brokenness, and floundering. You are God's beloved. God's favorite, the disciple whose name God calls, the one Jesus prefers to hang with, eat with, play with, talk with, cry with, and laugh with. You are the one whom the holy God of heaven and earth longs to spend time with. You are all of this and more. You always have been and you always will be. And remember... Spirituality is about is not about being fixed. It is about God being present in the mess of our unfixedness. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we take some time to be introspective over the next few weeks, may you allow, God, people just to truly experience the freedom of being comforted, comforted by you while also being convicted through you. May you allow us, Lord, to be willing to really better define what makes us children of God. May you allow us, Lord, to embrace the mess that is our lives so that we can embrace the mess that is others. And may you allow us, Lord, to recognize that through the power of your Son, we can grow to more wholeness, more purity, and more of who you called us and created us to be. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you are working with us, that you are speaking to us, and that our innermost selves are known by you. We bring praise and worship to your name for all that you're going to do throughout the next few weeks here at this church. We give you glory. We give you song. Amen.